And therefore, I give notice that Boris Johnson is elected as the leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. Welcome to Opinion Has It. I'm Elmira Berasli. We are going to energize the country. We're going to get Brexit done on October the 31st. We're going to take advantage of all the opportunities that it will bring in a new spirit of can-do. In less than three months, the United Kingdom is set to leave the European Union. The question is, how? Order! Order! For the past two years, Theresa May made Brexit the centerpiece of her premiership. She worked out a deal that would allow Great Britain to exit the EU with long transition periods and minimal damage. The eyes to the right, 286. The nose to the left, 344. So the nose have it, the nose have it. Mr Speaker, I think it should be a matter of profound regret to every member of this House that once again we have been unable to support leaving the European Union in an ordinary fashion. But her deal failed three times to win a majority in the UK Parliament. In early June, May announced her resignation, and in July she stepped down, the job unfinished. I do so with no ill will, but with enormous and enduring gratitude to have had the opportunity to serve the country I love. Last Tuesday, May's Conservative Party elected a new leader to take over as Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. A former journalist and mayor of London, Johnson became an outspoken advocate for Brexit at the 11th hour and campaigned hard for the UK to leave the EU. We cannot hope to govern an independent nation. We cannot hope to have an independent democracy in this country as long as we are members of the EU. Hardline Brexiteers are confident that Johnson can force the EU to accept an exit deal that does not include the so-called Irish backstop. Can he? Or will the UK crash out of the EU without a deal, wreaking economic havoc on both sides of the channel? Bill Emmett joins me to discuss these questions. Hello? Hi, Bill. This is Elmira. Hi. Can you hear me all right? I hear you great. Where are we reaching you? You're reaching me in Dublin at my house, looking out to the sea. Bill Emmett is the former editor-in-chief of The Economist and a regular contributor to Project Syndicate. So, Boris Johnson. Well, our new prime minister has been, from his point of view, a long time coming. He's been looking ahead to this for a lot of his career. I'm not sure that even he, though, would have believed it was really going to happen. Um, He was shocked even to become foreign secretary in uh, 2016 uh, and commented to a friend of mine, a fellow journalist, foreign secretary, that's pretty good for an old hack, isn't it, he said. Um, So I think he'll be saying exactly the same thing about prime minister. My, a journalist becoming prime minister. So can you take us further back? How did Johnson position himself to be prime minister one day? Well, he entered politics uh, as a conservative MP uh, and then positioned himself as an individual brand, a personality, a political personality in two ways, main ways. One was by appearing on television a lot on particularly uh, quiz shows and other kind of news related entertainment. Uh, which I think built himself something of a reputation uh, as a charismatic personality. Uh, And secondly, by running to be elected successfully as mayor of London, essentially making it a a kind of personal brand. Um, London and Boris Johnson were in his mind and in the mind of his followers to be synonymous. So that laid the foundations. And then when uh, Britain ended up holding a referendum um, about our membership of the European Union uh, in 2016, 
Boris Johnson, who'd been not in the government, but a supporter of the Conservative government, uh, had a decision to make. How did he position himself? And he decided to position himself on the Brexit side, on the Leave side, famously writing two editorials for the Daily Telegraph, who was a columnist for at the time, one advocating staying in the European Union, the other advocating leave, uh, and then deciding uh, subsequently which way to go, which I think is characteristic of his personality. But he positioned himself in that way and ended up being like the main, the front man for the leave campaign, which set himself up subsequently to the success of the referendum uh, as being like a symbol, a political symbol of of true Brexit, of being um, firmly in favour of leaving the European Union within the Conservative Party. Since Theresa May, the Prime Minister from uh, 2016 until uh, this week, uh, failed to um, execute uh, a plan to get Britain out of the European Union, that position Boris Johnson to step in and offer himself as Mr. True Brexit. Well, he does actually step in, and I think this is a very important point to make. He was not directly elected, and so he becomes prime minister through a party vote and not the ballot box. In the British system, that's the way it works. Um, we don't have a direct election for prime minister. We elect parties, and parties choose their leaders to then form a government, and that's what has happened before when prime ministers have resigned. They've been replaced by someone else from within the party. But many are already calling into question his legitimacy and the state of democracy in in the United Kingdom. Is there a crisis of legitimacy? Well, I think that there is a crisis of legitimacy, but it's not because of the, the method of choosing Boris Johnson as prime minister. It's because Theresa May, his predecessor, called a general election in 2017 and lost her party's overall majority as a result of which no party has a proper majority in the House of Commons. The Conservatives have been governing with uh, support from uh, the small uh, number of MPs for the Democratic Unionist Party from Northern Ireland. So that means that in Parliament, it's been impossible to get agreement on legislation, in particular legislation, to leave the European Union. So our crisis is that although we had a vote uh, three years ago to leave, um, which was won by a small but nevertheless clear majority, 52 plays 48, in Parliament, we're deadlocked. Uh, and Parliament um, cannot agree uh, on how to leave the European Union. Lyndon Johnson, President Lyndon Johnson, one of his much quoted comments is that the first rule of politics is to learn to count. Uh, and there is no parliamentary arithmetic at present for any form of decision about the European Union. That's the crisis. Boris Johnson has to figure out a way to solve that crisis. I think it's absolutely vital here in Northern Ireland to stress two things. And number one, that we will under no circumstances have a hard border. There will be no physical checks or infrastructure at the border in Northern Ireland. And number two, we will make sure we have a, an exit from the EU, a, a Brexit, that allows the whole UK to come out entire and undivided. And we keep our union absolutely intact and we can do it. So let's move on to what Johnson's leadership means for Brexit. The deadline to leave the European Union now is October 31st, and that's just three months out. 
And one of Johnson's campaign promises was not only to reopen negotiations, but to eliminate the Irish backstop, which he says is quote-unquote dead. The EU has said it will not negotiate further. Which side will give? Well, I think there are three points to make here. The first is that to be elected as leader of his party, Johnson had to appeal to the base, to the grassroots members who were the electorate. To do that, he had to make extreme positions. Secondly, he's an admirer of Donald Trump's negotiating tactics. He has said the thing about Trump is he goes in hard, and then he seeks to achieve a solution in a negotiation which is somewhere south of where he uh, first asked for. I think you're seeing Johnson start with a hard position about the Irish border, about the withdrawal agreement. The issue is how will he retreat? How far will he retreat? Is denuclearization of, of the Korean Peninsula for Donald Trump the Brexit border backstop issue for uh, Boris Johnson, something that he retreats rather substantially from um, as negotiations go on. But thirdly, Boris Johnson, in order to get any agreement with the European Union through Parliament, needs to have a general election. He needs to be able to win a majority. Therefore, he needs to have an election before October the 31st, really. And he needs to create a narrative that enables him to win a working majority in the House of Commons. And I think what we're seeing is Boris Johnson creating what he hopes will be a winning narrative. If he does call elections, how soon do you think that will take place? October. Essentially, because he didn't have time to call one this week, and Parliament has now gone into recess for the uh, August summer break, he now cannot call an election in practice until early September. He could, in an emergency, recall Parliament during, uh, during August and ask for an election then, but I think that would be dangerous for him. So he's likely to do it in early September, in my opinion, and that means with a six-week campaigning period, the election would be in roughly the second week of October. Perhaps, in association with that uh, effort, there would be a request for a short extension to the October 31st deadline um, to the European Union members to say, we're having an election, give us a little more time because we're going to renegotiate this whole deal. But if he doesn't announce elections until September, what does the governance look like in the UK in the month of August? Essentially silent, except for a few uh, political gestures. They're already making gestures appealing to um, conservative voters by uh, increasing the number of police uh, on the beat. There will be other gestures probably to do with uh, other law and order type issues, again, to appeal to the base. But really, governance has, has gone to sleep for August. August is a holiday period. Parliament is not sitting. Laws cannot be passed. What will be happening, though, is that Boris Johnson and his senior ministers will be making probably well-publicized visits to meet other European leaders, particularly the Irish prime minister, the Irish Taoiseach, as he's called, the German chancellor, French president, the president of the European Commission, maybe Donald Trump. There might be an effort to have a first meeting between Boris Johnson and Donald Trump. So there will be a lot of like symbolic diplomatic gestures that are there to build a narrative of strong, bold, ambitious, optimistic Boris Johnson, who probably, however, is being frustrated by those intransigent Europeans 
and needs a parliamentary mandate in order to show them that Britain means business. That, I suspect, is the narrative we're going to see being established during the month of August. They're saying Britain Trump. They call him Britain Trump, and people are saying that's a good thing. That they like me over there. That's what they wanted. That's what they need. That's what they need. He'll get it done. Boris is good. He's going to do a good job. Many are concerned that Johnson may actually snub the EU and instead cozy up to the U.S. president and in a way signal his black and white bargaining strategy for Brexit. What are the risks or even the benefits of this approach? Well, I think that the snubbing the EU idea is possible. It depends on Boris Johnson deciding that the best strategy is to in fact, force Parliament to accept Britain leaving the European Union without a deal, without it, without um, legal arrangements concerning the divorce from the European Union on October the 31st, and going immediately to negotiate a new trade arrangement and get support from the United States in the form of Donald Trump. This is a high-risk strategy in terms of British voters because Leaving the EU without a deal risks severe disruption for the British economy. Uh, There would not be uh, legal measures in place uh, for, for example, trade arrangements, for uh, movement of people, for aviation, for all sorts of other legal arrangements that are around modern life. So there's a risk of disruption. It's worth mentioning that uh, last year there was a well-publicized story where Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, ran out of chicken. There was a shortage of chicken. Oh, dear. Many voters called the police to ask what to be done. I'm mentioning that flippantly, but also to say that the British people are not terribly resilient. If there is disruption, the risk is that they will blame Boris Johnson for it. So the snub the EU totally strategy depends somewhat on him gambling that the British people will accept disruption if it can be blamed on the Europeans. One measure that British parliamentarians recently took to prevent a snub of the European Union is that they passed an amendment that would deny Johnson the ability to suspend parliament and push through a no-deal Brexit. Does that actually tie his hands? Or is there still a scenario in which Britain can leave the EU without a deal on October 31st? I think that uh, that vote in Parliament does tie his hands somewhat. It acts as a constraint, but nobody currently believes that it's absolutely watertight, that it will absolutely 100% prevent um, him forcing through a no deal. I think it probably means that he cannot suspend Parliament. But suspending Parliament would be an extraordinarily high-risk strategy. This would be the first time Parliament had been suspended or prorogued in the jargon since uh, the English Civil War, since Charles I uh, did so, and he ended up being beheaded by uh, the parliamentarians for what he did. Uh, I don't think Boris Johnson is going to, in a supposed effort to defend British democracy, I don't think he's going to suspend parliament. But he could try to force through a no-deal Brexit, uh, and the way he would have to do so is by getting enough votes from other parties, from opposition parties, particularly the Labour Party, to be able to get a majority for it. Or he has to find some way through an election, calling an election, dissolving parliament for an election to make it impossible for a, a law to be passed to block it. So it is just about possible that he could do that. It's difficult. It would produce a constitutional crisis. 
his gamble in that constitutional crisis would be that he is trying to save Britain in a Churchillian fashion from uh, disaster, uh, and that he is so persuasive and so attractive as a campaigner that he can overcome the disruption that he's being caused. My guess is that he is not that brave a politician. As Chancellor, Indeed. do you think you're going to be sacked? Uh, no, I'm sure I'm not going to be sacked because I'm going to resign. It's very important that a Prime Minister is able to have a Chancellor who is closely aligned with him uh, in terms of policy, and I therefore intend to resign. I can never remember a Chancellor of the Exchequer or indeed another senior minister announcing his resignation live on national television. Boris Johnson has sacked many people in the Cabinet. And that's in addition to a number of Tory members that have resigned, refusing to serve under him precisely because of his no-deal Brexit stance. Now, that's quite a contrast to Theresa May, who really made an effort to include both Remainers and Leavers in her cabinet. Is this a message to the EU? I think it's a message to the British people, first of all. And the message to the British people is that he knows what he wants to do, that this is, fits in with his narrative of saying, we're going to leave the European Union no ifs and no buts. We're definitely going to do it. And what we need is a united government. And that's what we lacked under Theresa May when she had like a, a coalition of, of leavers and remainers and sought to, to provide unity in the party. Essentially, what Boris Johnson is saying is the time for unity within the party is over. We need a decisive agreement within the government about what we're going to do and it's our disunity that's, that's weakened us in our negotiations with the EU. So in that final sense, it is a message to the EU. It says we really do now know what we're doing. However, I think the primary message is to the British people. You touch on unity, and that prompts me to ask something that former Prime Minister Gordon Brown has said about Boris Johnson. Brown has said that Johnson could very well be the last prime minister of the United Kingdom. And what he meant by that is the possibility that Johnson and his brand of politics could actually push Scotland to hold another independence vote. Uh, but of course, I, I can't deny it. would be hypocritical to deny the fact that I have profound concerns about the prospect of Boris Johnson as prime minister. You know, the vast majority of people in Scotland, had they been given any choice, which they weren't, wouldn't have chosen to hand the keys to number 10 to somebody with Boris Johnson's views and track record. How likely is that scenario? I think that that scenario becomes likely if you have a no-deal Brexit, if you have a snubbing the EU Brexit, one in which, uh, in association with that, as you put it, um, he snuggles up to Donald Trump and to the United States as a clear alternative to um, the EU. I think that in that environment, uh, Scotland would immediately start pressing for a second independence referendum. And I think the popularity of, a, of independence would rise. I think it's true that in the case of a snub the EU Brexit, that Scotland and Scottish independence does become likelier. And if that happens, so does Northern Irish uh, independence, because I think if Scotland leaves, then the likelihood is that there will be within not a very long time uh, a referendum in Northern Ireland about uh, for or against unity with the Republic of Ireland. So it would be a dismantling of the United Kingdom. This is a prediction, not a certainty. There are many 
uh, twists and turns in political life and the history of a country like ours. So I don't think anyone should state it as a certainty. Um, but uh, certainly, if he were to go, go that route, he would be potentially playing with political fire and with the future of the United Kingdom. Could there be a call for a second referendum on Brexit? I think that if there were an election in October, and I'd put the chances at around 50%, maybe maybe a bit higher than 50% now, maybe 60%. In that case, some of the parties running, the pro-European parties, will campaign on the basis that there should be a second referendum. If the Conservatives were to win, if Boris Johnson were to win with an increased majority, then I don't think there would be a second referendum. I don't think the Conservatives would support a second referendum. However, if he were not to succeed in in, uh, winning an overall majority, if, for example, the Liberal Democrats, the centrist party who have been most pro-European, were able to re-establish a strong presence in Parliament and become the kingmakers of, uh, in a post-election coalition negotiation, then you could get a second referendum coming, um, becoming a serious possibility. If the Tories didn't win um, an overall majority, then the likeliest alternative government would be a coalition between the Liberal Democrats, the Scottish Nationalist Party, the pro-independence party in Scotland, and um, but also pro-EU party in Scotland, and uh, the Labour Party. In that case, a second referendum could become a serious possibility. But I personally think only in that environment are you likely to get to a second referendum. You touch on the Labour Party, which is currently being led by Jeremy Corbyn, who himself is a very controversial figure. How does he fit into the possibility of an election in October and then also within the scenario of how the UK leaves the European Union? I think that from the point of view of Boris Johnson, Jeremy Corbyn is the ideal opponent because he is elderly, has a reputation as being from the far left of uh, British politics, and a very weak leader. So he would be an ideal target for um, a younger, more charismatic, more uh, centre-right uh, liberal, I mean, liberal in a European sense, classical liberal uh, politician like Boris Johnson. But against that, uh, Corbyn's weakness opens up the, the possibility of uh, the rival of a centrist party of the Liberal Democrats really gaining a lot of seats, winning both pro-European conservative votes and winning Labour votes. And I think we'll, we'll get that played out in an election uh, you might well get between those two extremes of Boris Johnson on the right and Jeremy Corbyn on the left, you'll get, you could get the emergence of a very powerful, moderate centre party um, holding the balance of power. And I just want to point out um, to our listeners that the Liberal Democrats have just elected the, a woman to lead, Jo Swinson. Quite right. Absolutely. She's um, not well known to the British public. But uh, she has a good reputation. She's quite a dynamic and energetic uh, person. Uh, and I think, you know, she is a good new start for the Liberal Democrats. So at this moment, do you actually think that the UK will leave the EU in the next few months? Personally, I doubt that the UK will leave the EU in the next few months. I think that from a point of view of making a percentage bet, I think it's still likely that the UK will leave the EU. But I think that we'll need another extension before we get to a parliamentary agreement on how to leave the EU. 
So I would still put it higher than 50% that Britain, that the UK will leave the EU eventually, but I think after a further extension of time. The chances of alternative scenarios happening because of an election, because of the volatility of our politics, have also risen. Bill, we end each episode asking our guests this question. What gives you hope? What gives me hope is that um, in the next British election, young voters will be much more motivated to come out and vote than they were in the 2016 uh, referendum. I think that whereas in the 2016 referendum about the European Union, those who were against Europe were more motivated than those um, who were in favor of it, that has changed. I think that we could well see a re-energizing of pro-European politics uh, in Britain. So I have hope that actually if we get a general election in October, we may get a massive surprise and that the Liberal Democrats under Joe Swinson actually become are surprisingly successful and even form part of a new government that reestablishes the moderate center of British politics. But that's my optimism. Uh, that's what gives me hope. I'm not among those who get hope from the thought that Boris Johnson is a man of no convictions and that he will ultimately betray everyone and that he'll eventually betray um, his pro-Brexit supporters by becoming um, anti-Brexit or becoming much more moderate than he seems. I think that he's set his political narrative and he's going to pursue it. But I think there is a, a strong British counter-reaction to that consistency, and I think it's particularly there among the young. They will come out and vote if there is a general election in October, and they may bring a massive surprise. Bill, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Bill Emmett. He's the former editor-in-chief of The Economist. And that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear what you think about it please rate and review our podcast. Better yet, subscribe on your favorite listening app. Until next time, I'm Elmira Bayrosley. Opinion Has It is produced and edited by Kasha Brasalian. Special thanks to Project Syndicate editors Jonathan Stein and Rachel Donna.